Welcome to the Next in Time podcast, where we explore the fascinating depths of how people have the potential of impacting the world with the mission and vision of their project. Join us on this audio journey as we uncover the hidden gems of one's vision, delve into thought-provoking discussions of why they're pursuing it, and see how they're going to make an impact. If you're a curious person, this podcast is your go-to destination. Hey everyone, welcome to the Next in Time podcast. I'm your host, ST, and today our guest is Alex Sanfilippo. He is the founder and CEO of PodMag, which is a software company focused specifically on the podcasting industry. He's also the host of the top-rated podcast called Podcasting Made Simple and a lead educator in podcasting, and he's looking to really transform the podcasting landscape. So Alex, welcome to the show. ST, thank you so much for having me. You don't know this, but I've been listening to your podcast because I always like to listen before I'm going to be on one. You've got a really good show here, so I'm honored and thrilled to be here today. So thank you. Yeah, because you are a true visionary in the podcasting space because um, yeah, I can guarantee you most of the guests that have come on my show are primarily because of your uh, platform. Oh, I love that. That's Hey, that's great to hear because you've got some really... I was listening to episode 57 today yeah. with Tyler Foley. Yeah, uh, just a, a brilliant guy when it be like when it comes to the idea of speaking. And I'm currently working my ability to be a good speaker. So everyone, bear with me today, right? All, we're all visionaries, so sometimes we get ahead of ourselves a little bit. But uh, yeah, that was just a good, insightful episode for even me to hear. So thank you again for what you do, St. And it's an honor to be here. Yeah, no, it's gonna be a great episode altogether because um, whenever I find someone who is who is a strong visionary with what they're doing, what they're building, what they're trying to transform the world with or transform like even just like, they don't have to be like this grand visionary. It could be just a typical you know, guy who just wants to change some small thing in the world. That's fine by me. That's still kind of visionary. So I just try to go into people's minds as to why they're you know trying to transform the world with what they're building. Yeah, I, I love that you do that. And the fact that you said like, it doesn't need to be, I'll call it like the extra, the the extraordinary, if you will, right? The extraordinary visionary that's like, I'm going to go to Mars, right? Like, it can also be the guy like me who just said, hey, I'm going to help make podcasting better for people, right? right. Like, th that's a much smaller vision. I'm not trying to sell myself short, but I don't have some earth-shattering, earth-altering vision necessarily. I just said, here's something I'm passionate about and care about. I want to change this little piece of the world to hopefully make it a better place in this one avenue. So I really respect the fact that you see the value in that. And again, it speaks to your expertise as a host, ST, but also the listeners hang out with us because I think most of us are going to fall into that category of saying, yeah, I want to change the world, but it's going to be something small that I really do. And that's going to have a big lasting snowball effect influence. Right. And so before we get to know more about you, Alex, like what is the, um, what, what is your drive in terms of really making this uh, company work? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's something that maybe is disconnected from the actual business a little bit. And maybe that makes me a bad entrepreneur. I don't know if we're even saying that. But what really, at the end of the day, like my goal with this is to help podcasters get better at releasing good content so that they can impact a listener's life. So, so if I have like a big vision and like a, my, my overarching goal, it's really just to help in, impact, influence people. I believe that happens one listener at a time. So can we make, or not, not make, but can we help podcasters get better at being able to deliver that to their listeners. And that at the end of the day is the thing that, that drives me forward. It makes me want to continue doing this the way I am. And so how many podcasts have you in, have you made an impact on in this? 
It's like, yeah, I, you know, I, I always think that what, what I track is actually episode releases. So like how many episodes have we directly helped podcasters release? And that's kind of how I'm tracking it. Uh, I, to keep this evergreen, at time recording, it's around, I think around 60,000 maybe is the number that we've helped podcasters release. So 60,000 episodes, and some of them are the same podcast, right? Um, as you mentioned, uh, ST, some of them, more than one, I'm not the first person you found off of Podmatch, right? So <laughs> other people probably have as well found multiple. But regardless, that's kind of the number that we know we feel good about, right? We know, hey, that 60,000, that's someone we've helped do a really great interview. Right. And in a way, it's it's like, as you mentioned earlier, it's a snowball effect. It just, it starts with one and then it gradually grows to two, then grows to four, then to 10, to 20, to 30. Like, you know, eventually I've, I think when we, well, I think you must have sent me a message say, hey, congratulations on having 19 guests on your show. <laughs> Is that, you've had that many through Podmatch? I think so far, that's why you, I think based upon. Nice. I, must have gone I, I can't quite remember the number. I, it's always a little fuzzy, right? But that's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. And so, and but, Tell me, like before, like tell me about your experience, like about your life. Like you know, you were uh, you. I read somewhere that you were an entrepreneur at the age of ten, and you were doing all these small these types of businesses. I don't say small, but let's just say you're making these impactful businesses. Tell me about that life. Yeah, uh, ST, you were definitely right. They were small. <laughs> the first thing I did actually as an entrepreneur, if, if you'll call it that, ten years old, I started selling used golf balls uh, across across the street from my neighbor. There was a golf course, and we'd like. Uh, you know how it is. Parents say, don't play on the golf course. So where do you go? All the kids go out of the golf course, right? So we actually started finding used golf balls because these golfers were awful and they hid in the lake and we'd, we'd sell them back to them. And uh, that, that was like my first, my first introduction to any form of business, if you will. That was the first time I did something where I'm like, wow, I made money for working, right? Uh, yeah. And from then on, like through high school and stuff like that, especially like earlier, like teen years and stuff like that, I started flipping things on eBay. Back then that was like new but like I had all these action figures from when I was like a younger kid that I'm like, wow, these things are worth a ton of money, but people don't realize it. So if I can buy like a huge lot of them, I can separate it and sell them one off, right? Or I'd buy all 10 pieces of X and sell it to my friends at school. Like, you know, all that type of thing. So, um, yeah, so all, all I think odd you, jobs. I was going to say, when you started that golf ball uh, business, I think that was like a step up from lemonade stand. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's so funny you say that, uh, SC, no one ever brings that up. But uh, I actually tried to sell lemonade one time and I did the the math in my head. I, I, entrepreneurship, I was probably bred for it. If I can just be real, like this is what I, what I was made for. But I did the math in my head. I'm like, we're losing money. I'm like, if if I paid for this, not my parents, then I'm going to lose money by being out here all day. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. So I tried lemonade one time and then, yes, got promoted to golf balls. <laughs> yeah. So what is the... Um, in in a way, these, these couple of years, you've been like, fine. To trying and testing on new businesses like what do you think you've learned from those yeah um like going back to the ones when i was younger or like the current software type businesses is that where, let's where just say from to? when you were younger like what yeah. like, let's just say what lesson have you learned from the businesses you've learned younger that you've applied to the current mm. these current set of businesses that you're running right now yeah the, the the first thing i learned uh is the importance of keeping the main thing the main thing when I was doing golf balls, uh, again, being a visionary, my mind immediately went to, well, we could sell lemonade here too, even though it's at a loss, right? Or, <laughs> well, what if we also sold this? Like, would people want that? And we started thinking about those things. As a 10-year-old kid, I, I was in school. I didn't have much time. But the, the first thing that I've still learned to this day is just to keep things simple, keep the main thing the main thing. I'd say that's absolutely the biggest lesson I've learned. 
I'm an out of control visionary left my own con- my own accord. So I always have to remember, okay, keep it simple, stupid. It's the way I say it, right? Kiss, right? Keep it simple, stupid. And always just go back to the main thing. People like to throw ideas my way and my brain loves to entertain all those ideas. But the more I've learned to keep it honed in, the better. And that was something I learned as a 10-year-old kid. Uh, beyond that, uh, the next thing I'll mention is just learning the real key performance indicators, KPIs, as we know it in the business world. Like what actually matters? What metrics do you need to track? Again, I find most of us visionaries is that we like to see big spreadsheets, all the things, right? Because we like to get our whole mind around it. But I've learned if you can hone it in just to the one or two or three metrics that matter the most and everything else works, if those things are right, that is a beautiful place to be. Because when you do these things, you say, this is my lane. Like these two things go together. This is my lane. And these are how I track that I'm staying in that lane. And if these are working and growing, then it's working and growing. Now I'm free to have ideas and visions about how to better support the people that I'm supporting. And those are lessons I learned from being 10 till 18, I'd say. Yeah. And also here, are the, the list of businesses that you work, that you've operated include like a real estate technology startup, a real estate investing company, and, and you're also an aerospace executive. You've done plenty of, uh, you know, how did, how did you go from selling golf balls to going to real estate to real estate technology to then be to like also be an air, aerospace executive I had that say yeah it, it does need some explaining doesn't it right i think yeah, it warrants like, okay I, you just like you you consider yourself like a polymath of different careers or, <laughs> or industries I've, thankfully it's all led me to where i am today it's all been a journey but uh so going to my later teen years uh, after i stopped selling things on ebay i i was approached by actually it was a friend of my family like my parents and he was starting a business where he was photographing homes and he's like i wonder if there's a way to do like what we now know as a virtual tour of a home like if you go to Zillow is a really popular one around me. I don't know if it's everywhere or not, but like you can drag the mouse and like look at the roof. You can look at the floor, spin it all the way around. We pioneered building that tech. And this was back in 2003, 2004. So, I mean, if you think about how long ago that was, like we were really pioneering that. Yeah, I was still, I was a kid back then. (laughs) Right, (laughs) I can tell. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we, we, we were building that out. And the whole idea was just, that was our, our technology start. We started working on the MLS. We were actually like posting virtual tours of homes. It was like a really big trendy thing at that point. And uh, that got me interested in real estate investing. So I wasn't 18 yet, but as soon as I turned 18 with that business, I started investing. And so that's kind of what got me from being the flipping stuff on eBay guy to doing a tech startup, which was all remote. I had, there were seven of us working in that company uh, to starting investing in real estate. And now I'll give you the huge caveat here. Like what led me to aerospace from that? Well, remember the year, 2003. By yeah. 2006, I was 18. I started investing in real estate. 2007, 8, 9 happened. Uh, I lost everything at that point. Like I went from having a thriving company to having real estate that I was using as rental property to literally being super in debt without a business. And that happened overnight. I, I wasn't able to see it. Some people, I know like there's that movie, The Big Short. Some people were able to call it. I was not able to call it. But uh so that was like a tough time in my life, if you will. Unless, yeah, unless you were a genius in predicting the markets, you just don't. You you were basically at a loss. <laughs> I was I was an eighteen year old kid. There was no way I was thinking about any of that. <laughs> it's, it's you know the funny thing is when you started back building that real estate tech startup, it's like you had seven people and you were doing it remotely. That was like oh yeah, you were like twenty years too early for that. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I, I think about that. Yeah, from I, I actually that never hit me until last. Um, it was 2022 when that hit me for the first time. I'm like, wait, I was running a remote company like before that was even an idea. And the, the thing is, 
you might even be too young for this. Uh, some of the listeners are going to resonate with this. We were using AIM to chat. So AOL Instant Messenger is how we were communicating as a team. So we started our own like private group and we had our individual one. So that's like the old school version of Slack, if you will. But we just found ways to make it work. Yeah, that's that's what that's what the mark of someone who's very, very good with uh, be, being resourceful does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then you got so how did you get a stumble upon the errors? Like you just found how did you stumble upon the aerospace industry? Yeah. So again, I hit that rough time in life where I realized I was upside down on everything. Right. So I ended up closing the doors. That company I actually had a partner in it who I just kind of passed off them because they said they still want to do it. Like eventually the market will turn around. I don't know whatever became of that. I just kind of got out. Uh, and then I, I actually, my, my dad was an aerospace executive, he, he, entrepreneur, I should say, like he started business, like a huge business. And so I hit him up. I'm like, Hey dad, I'm like, I'm in a bad place. I was like, I need a job. I was like my, my first like real job. And, um, I was like, can you do anything for me? He's like, no, but I can get you an interview somewhere. And the reason I was attracted to aerospace though, was because that industry was still thriving. It was like, um, um, it, it wasn't like commercial use. It was more, uh, military and uh, cargo and stuff like that, right? Like that was the side that was still doing well. The world still needed to turn. And so I was like, cool, doing well. I'll approach my dad. Maybe he can get me a job. He told me to give me an interview. I went in and interviewed and thankfully I, I got a job, but I started off as a part-time receiving clerk. So when I got started I was literally working part-time and I was receiving clerk, by the way, was translation. I'll let you do STM. I'll let you know a little secret. It was translation for I break down boxes. And I take out people's trash. And that was kind of how I got my start. So it was, it was a humble beginning, but that was that was like the most that is the most interesting buzzword I've ever heard in this in in any in the career world. Is it <laughs> receiving clerk for receiving clerk break down boxes and take out trash? That's what I was doing. <laughs> but then you but then you fast forward to now, like you went into the blogging, public speaking, coaching, and now podcasting space. So we went from. Aerospace exact exact you were working in the aerospace industry as like a receiving clerk. Was that was that your only job in that area? No, I actually, I mean, over it was a 15-year career that I did. So big corporate, fifth. I mean, it was a but when I started, it was a privately owned company. Um, and then it ended up being like a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company. So like it grew a lot during that time, but I grew with it. So like I, I got promoted to full time in my first year. Uh, I got promoted to management just two years after that, and then to senior leadership, and then so on and so forth, right? So I don't want to downplay. It was a 15-year sprint, if you will, right? But I worked yeah. my way up, and I used a lot of my uh, abilities to be a good visionary, to be a good entrepreneur, which is now there's a, uh, SC, there's a coin, like a, twin, a coin term for that. It's called entrepreneur, which means an <laughs> entrepreneur yeah. inside of an organization. Yeah. And that's more or less what I was the whole time. I just worked my way up. I loved that career. The, the, till the last day I was there, I worked my butt off, enjoyed every minute of it. Just, it was time to make a change. And that's the only reason I even got out of it. Right. And then now fast forward to starting a pod match, right? Well, I think, I believe your profile said that you were the original, I would say the founder and CEO of Pod Pros, but then you started this platform called Pod Match. So what was that? Take me to that journey. Yeah. Um, by the way, when I was still in, in aerospace, I started looking at side, like started doing side hustles toward the end of my career, which I'm a big believer in. Uh, I failed as a coach, failed as a uh, web developer, failed about hundred other things, right? Like before, but I was just exploring. I, I didn't need those things. They were just something I'd spend an hour a day doing before I went home from like, I'd, I'd leave work before I like, I, I got into like my home life and personal life. I would just spend an hour, usually a coffee shop working on something, seeing if I like it. And uh, what actually ended up leading me to podcasting was starting my own show. 
so I could talk to successful entrepreneurs who had left a nine to five job to become a full-time entrepreneur. So I could talk to them about their journey. And that's what led me into the space was just doing that. And that's kind of how I- That's practically what I'm doing right now is- interview, Yeah, I love instead it. Of, and instead of people who just quit nine to five, just interview people who have a, have a vision on how they're, what they're looking to make an impact on. Yeah, you know, um, I, th I think it's, the, I, the name is so fitting, Next in Time. I think it just goes really well with what, what it is that you're looking to do. And I resonate so much with that, SD. I think that this is- this works really well for me. What you're doing is brilliant. It adds so much value to the listeners while at the same time helping you go in the direction you want to go. I, I credit my podcast for getting me to where I am today was yeah. learning from the, the guest, also learning from the industry. It's what got me started speaking. Like my, my show did well. I started speaking at all the conferences. I started doing some coaching. I started doing education in podcasting. And that, again, it all funneled out of that. That was the first thing that was a side hustle that actually seemed to get traction and work and that I loved. And ultimately it's what caused me to leave my career after 15 years. Right. And so you started this podcast, podcasting made simple. That's what that was that your first podcast or your current one? So it, yeah, it, it's the same feed, but my show is actually called creating a brand where we talk about the art of creating a brand for yourself. So it, on my same podcasting made simple feed, if you go to the first 158 episodes, I want to say, It'll yeah. say podcast, or sorry, it'll say creating, this is the creating a brand podcast. Past that, it was podcasting made simple. I pivoted my show with me as I was trying to transition into the different things I've done. I wanted to keep the same feed because I like people to hear the progress along the way. Yeah. And so what would you, so I just want what made you passionate about the podcasting industry? The first thing I noticed is that it was an industry with an abundance mindset. What I mean by that is my guests all had like just big mindsets. They were like thankful, appreciative, going places, but also other people I met in the industry. They were like, let me help you promote your show. Why don't you come on mine so that you can get some of my listeners over to your show? Why don't you come speak here? Why don't you like, just people so willing to help. And nothing against my former career, but aerospace in general is a cutthroat industry. And so the, the person sitting next to you, like I was in sales for a sprint. I probably did two years, or I guess I did longer than that. I don't know how, I did a long time in sales. But the person sitting next to you was your friend, but they were also, they would cut you if you would like try to steal a sale from them, right? And so I had this very hyper competitive, probably over the top competitive mindset. I got into podcasting. I assumed it was going to be like that, but there was that abundance mindset and that attracted me to the industry itself so much because I'm like, wow, I come from the opposite. So hardcore. I love the fact that these people all want to be friends, collaborate, find ways to work together. It was just something I was just so attracted to. And I don't know how else to really articulate that. And when you, so when you started the, so you started with podcasting made simple and then went into building Podmatch. And what was the uh, reason? So what made you decide on um, really getting into the, uh, into, into really creating this community of podcasters? Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I'm going to way oversimplify entrepreneurship. So to the first 158 episodes I had of my show with all those great guests, forgive me for oversimplifying it. What I learned in that first 150 episodes of my show when I wanted to become that entrepreneur was how it works. And there's four steps. Step one, find an area of passion. For me, that was podcasting. Step two, get into the community. That's why I started speaking, going to the conferences. Step three, find a problem that that community is struggling with. Something that they say, this is an issue. I wish it was, was different, right? Look for those words. And then the last thing is to offer a solution to that problem. I'll never forget it. I was in Orlando, Florida in uh, just before pandemic 2020. It was like March, like the first week of March. So I went there and I got off stage and about 2000 people there. 
And I made a point to have a notepad with me. And anybody who would talk to me after that, which people are nice, they're going to come talk to you and say, thanks for speaking, right? I was going to ask them, what is it that you're struggling with as a podcaster? Because again, I knew I wanted to offer the solution to that. I heard a lot of things, but 100 people said the exact same thing. Alex, I'm having trouble finding the ideal guest for my show. And I knew in that moment that that was a business I wanted to build to solve the problem that the community I was so passionate to serve was struggling with. And that's how I came up with Podmatch. And for lack of a better term, works just like a dating app, but instead of connecting you for dates, it connects you for podcast interviews. So if you're the yeah, guest or the host, it'll match you. <laughs> when, do you when did you start this? That, uh, so I, I got the idea and whiteboarded out on March 15th, or sorry, March 10th, 2020. And on June 15th, 2020 is when it launched. I see. Yeah, that was a quick launch there. And also, yeah, because yeah, I one thing I've experienced with Podmatch is that I just, it's, it's, as you mentioned, it is like a dating app where you have all these different people. Are they a good fit for you to just have that initial interaction? You know, if they do a good, if, if they feel like they're a good fit, great. If not, then next, all right, then the next guest. And also because my podcast, also Next in Time is very, what do you call a broad kind of podcast, not like a very niche podcast where, I can just take in anyone who has who is trying to build something like oh you're building and what other people what other 19 guests I had so far on the show were building so it's it's it kind of worked well for me in a way because of that okay I was able to find make that podcast work for all these other people for yeah yeah and that that's the beauty of it is that you can you can find that and I, I like. I just want to make it simple. I want to remove friction for the people I care about. And that, that at the end of the day is really, again, like it's about helping them. We go back to the very beginning of our conversation to helping these podcasters get that episode out so it can serve that listener. And the way that we can do that better is making it frictionless. And so that's solely my goal is how can we make this even easier for everybody? And so what features do you think are what are, what do you think are the, sorry, the features of the, uh, of the platform that are helping podcasters really get to what to get to their, what they call destination? Yeah. The, the first, the first one is, um, the profiles of the guests. So the guests have a profile. So you're able to do a lot of your research, at least the groundwork and, and know where to go just from the, the profile. And for anyone listening, it's like, okay, what is he talking about? The profile of the listener or sorry, of the uh, the guest serves as a as a one sheet. So a media one sheet that basically says, here's their bio and the hosts can read that if they want. Here's all their social media links. Here's their website. Here's their call to action where they're going to want to send listeners, right? Here's some other interviews they've done. Here's questions they're ready to be asked. Here's ideas for topics, all those things, right? Here's their pictures if you want to post any of them. So it just has all those things. That's been very helpful because at the very least, again, most hosts are going to go do some additional like research along the way, but it gives you the foundation of that. That's been extremely helpful. Beyond that, making it so you never have to exchange an email. I mean, emails can be pretty inefficient. So we have a message platform. We have a way that you can book the interview right within that. Uh, that whole idea of simplifying it in that way has been very, very helpful. And I'd say those are some of the core features that we have. Yeah, because there's one thing I could say about the platform is, you know, all the all the other podcast guests that I try to look for, it was primarily primarily through networking. And if I tried to reach to certain companies or certain certain founders of companies via email, it's not been very effective for some reason. But I think this is where I think people who want to really be on podcasts sign up for Podmatch itself, and they kind of are more responsive to like these requests to get on podcasts compared to let's say if I just send a cold email to a, uh, to, to our founder. So I, who I've never met before and just say, okay, Hey, come on the podcast and we'll, we'll, we'll have a nice time together. We'll talk about what you're trying to build, what you're trying to make an impact on. 
It's a good point, ST. As a matter of fact, that, that's that's really key. If, you, if you're on Podmatch, you know the host is looking for guests and you know the guests are looking to be on podcasts. So at the very least, no one no one's on the platform who's like, I don't want to do this. Like you're there because you want to. So that automatically gets rid of like, hey, are you even wanting to be a guest? Like now you know, yes, they're looking to be a guest. So that's very insightful you to say. I like that. Yeah. And how do you recommend podcast these how do you write how do you normally recommend some of these podcasters to really manage all the work that goes on when it comes to let's say you know setting up these setting up their episodes set it really you know getting their guests on releasing them what would you recommend in terms of really making this work for the both the podcaster and the guest yeah on both sides i just say have a workflow like have some sort of workflow that you follow something that you do every single time and then build an SOP around it. Like I, one of our products is podcastsop.com, which literally just gives you like a glorified checklist. Sorry to my co-founder who built it because he would tell you it's a lot more than that. But more <laughs> or less, it's the things that you're saying, I do this every time I record an episode. I record, or sorry, I find the guest. I book the guest. I record with the guest. I edit it. Then I do this. And then I make this social thing, right? So that's the host side, the guest side, same thing. How are you going to get out there and share it? How are you going to repurpose that content? Because I'll be real, if you're a guest, you got to... You can make months of content from just a single interview. Like, it's not hard to do. You just have to be intentional with this. I always tell people, like, what I suggest is figure out your flow of what works best for you and then build out into an SOP, which stands for Standard Operating Procedure, of these are the steps I do every single time. Get it organized like that. And I'm telling you what, it just becomes part of your daily workflow, right? Or weekly workflow, however often you're getting on shows. So... And uh, for any new podcasters who are starting out, what is it that you would say would, if, if they want to start recording their, if they come up, if they come to you and say, okay, I want to start a podcast and I need the right equipment, do I do the, and they ask the, like, if they need the right equipment, they need all these setups and everything, do you, would you recommend that? Or would you recommend just going low tech first and then work your way to, you know, be getting all the necessary gear? I always just tell people to start where you're at. I mean, start where you are. Uh, I have a buddy who wrote a book called Start Ugly, um, which I love it because the whole idea is just like, hey, use what you have today. Uh, Now, granted, if you're a Fortune 500 CEO, make the investment, right? Like you want to represent your brand well. If you're like me, I started off using a built-in microphone and a built-in, I don't know to call it camera, I guess, like webcam, the cam on your your computer, right? Like I just started off real low tech and I, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. If you decide, I love this, I want to do this more, then focus on continuous improvement. Like I'm using a mic now that that I consider my forever mic. It wasn't extremely expensive, but I love it. And I work my way up to this. This is my third podcast mic. Uh, My camera is my third camera or fourth camera maybe, right? But this is like, I've worked my way up to this over time. I never was like, well, I want to start a podcast. I need to spend 10 grand on the tech. No, I think all in, I'm probably $500 in on my entire setup. I worked my way up from nothing other than what was already built in and in front of me. And just work my way up slowly. And I, I think that that is the way to go. Right. And so what is it about Podmatch really makes it much more effective for podcasters compared to other platforms? Let's say if there are any other platforms that exist. I still, I'm trying to figure out if there's a competitor for these guys. Yeah, there, there, are, there are some. You can go out there and find them. And they're really, they're great companies. I, I, I'm not saying be on them all. But first off, like, I talk about staying in your lane. Uh, some people are like, oh, should I be on all of them? Like, just pick your favorite. I don't care if it's mine and just stay on the one that works for you. You know, like just <laughs> stick with the ones. So you're not spreading yourself thin. Um, but so, yeah, there are others. But what really separates us, I'd say, is our community and our devotion to listening to that community, to our members. We built this thing off of asking a simple question. What are you struggling with? 
we still ask that question years later. What is it that you're struggling with that we can add into this to make it better, more frictionless for you? And I, I just, not to talk bad about anybody else in the industry, there's not very many people who do that. Most people in software like to just step back and say, you know what, use it, I'll build whatever I feel like. We do the exact opposite. We say, what is it that you need? How can we make this better for you? And we're just never gonna lose that. No matter how big we get, we're gonna keep that small community feel. And I really believe that's what separates us in the space. And one thing I've noticed about this is the um, is the com is the commission structure of Podmatch. You know, when you book certain types of guests, depending upon how much they pay for their membership, you get a certain amount of commission for each episode you record. So one thing I you know, this is like a personal. I'd say, as, let's just say I'm pretending I'm an investor right now, and I have some let's say a concern about this one small thing because. You know, you're giving out money to all these hosts and even maybe guests, right? Just to, uh, you know, come on, use the platform, pay a membership and all that. And then there's like, let's say, what if there's that time? How do you, how do you normally structure that payment structure, like commission structure where you're not really affecting the business in a way? Yeah, we just decided that we're, um, we looked at our our revenue and we looked at our profit margin. We said, you know what, we'll, we'll take 30% of our revenue, not even profit. 30% of our revenue and just and that comes out to be about 50% of our profit, which will always work to increase that. And we just said, let's give this back to the creator themselves. So money never goes to the hands of guests. And some guests are like, hey, what the heck? Why not? I'm like, you're getting a podcast interview. Like there's few things on earth that are more valuable, right? So um, enjoy. You're welcome, right? Yeah. Uh, this but is, the host, go ahead. I was just saying, this is like literally the only time I ever even made money on, on doing my podcast is through here. <laughs> Hey, that's great. And here's here's why we give back to the host. You're the creator. Like, and I, I actually, that's one thing I hate about the creator economy is that there's not more ways to pay creators. I think YouTube does pretty good with ads once you hit a certain level. But for me, I don't want to, the reason um, the reason we didn't base it off of your download numbers and all that stuff is because like that's not the heart of the creator. Most creators aren't in this to get rich and famous. They're here to serve. I'm like, why don't we just start serving them from day one and not say, well, you're more famous than the last guy. So we'll we'll pay you more. We don't do any of that. It's just, you know what? You're the one creating. We're the platform you've chosen to, to use to help you with that. So we want to give you a cut of what we make just to say thank you for doing this and to encourage, hopefully, you to continue to create. So yeah, we we take a huge hit. And I imagine that, not, not that we don't have any investors, we're all bootstrapped and we don't, we're don't we not trying to sell or anything like that. But I imagine if either of those things were the case, raising money or someone trying to buy us, that would be a big red flag to be like, why are you just giving away money? And again, it comes back to the whole community. It's because we believe in podcasts and we believe in content creators and we want to support them by actually investing in them. Right. And so uh, since we're running out of time, I wish we could have this podcast last, last longer, but I'm going to ask this one final question is that um, say many people ask, should I launch my own podcast? What do you think about that? I think right now as we're recording this uh, and I think I'll also agree with this for all of eternity. So it's evergreen, right? I'm going to say, yes, you should. And, and here's why I say that, because people always ask me, Alex, is podcasting healthy? It's healthy based off one metric that you need to look at. Is listenership climbing? If you look at the industry as a whole, listenership is growing at an exponential rate right now. And I think we're only going to see more of that as it's, there's movies being built around podcasting. There's TV shows that reference it. It's everywhere now, right? We're going to see it get more and more popular. So as long as that top line level of listenership is climbing, it's a good time to be in podcasting. At the same time, since... Uh, I think it was August, it was August, 2020. We have seen no growth in podcasting as far as active podcast hosts. The number stays around 400,000 at any given time. 
which again means listenership climbing, not more shows that are staying active. And the active shows, the ones that get all the listenership, if you can simply keep a podcast going, you are going to win just strictly based off how the data is working. So yeah, again, it's a long way to answer it, but podcasting is a great thing to get into right now. Yeah, I agree with that because, you know, why my podcast, I've not taken a break for since I launched it last year in right. June, June 2022. It's, and it's, I don't think I'll be able to take a break because, you know, there's that one, there's, you know, you may... It may not have enough listenership right now at the at the current moment, but what like slowly but surely, once you like keep releasing an episode a week or even once like twice a week, or you know we'll see about that. Once that once you hit that, you you have to hit a collision. You'll be on a collision course with that with that trend of people listening to that podcast. Where okay, now you're going to be part of that, then your listenership will start taking off in a way. This is, hasn't been the case for everybody, but there's a lot of people that have told me the same thing. And this happened for me as well. 100 episode, two years is when I started seeing big traction start to happen. And I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I was getting better as a host, obviously, right? Like we're always getting better and better. So I think I, not that I perfected my craft, but I was really good at podcasting about 100 episodes, I like to think. And right. that for some reason, again, that's two years. It's episode a week. So it's 100 episodes, give or take a little bit, right? That's when it really started taking off. And so I just think that if we can commit ourselves to 100 episodes, I'm going to release one a week for 100 weeks straight. That's about two years. I think that you'll start seeing that meaningful traction take place. It's just a matter of outlasting the people that are saying, oh, I can't do it anymore, right? And I think too many people stop from like, it's, it's the old saying, like three feet from gold, right? If you would have just dug three feet deeper, you would have struck gold. And people just say they give up just a little bit too soon. So my thing is just stick with it. Yeah, keep going. But anyways, thank you so much, Alex. I, it's a real. I'm really glad I was able to have you on the show because I've been wanting to have you on for many weeks now since I've joined Podmatch. So it was great that we were able to have this conversation and looking forward to seeing how Podmatch will take off in the coming years. ST, I, I'm so appreciative of being here. Next in Time is a great podcast. If you're listening to this and you haven't, Go leave ST a review. I'm sure other people, I think Tyler even recommended that as well. But just go leave a review because ST is doing a phenomenal job here. Let's encourage this to keep on happening, right? Staying consistent because this is going to be one of those shows that I think ends up with a really cool story down the line. But anyway, thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Next in Time podcast. We hope you enjoyed diving into the intriguing vision of our guest today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media to stay updated on future episodes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay curious and keep exploring.